This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Analyzing Anfield. We are live on the Blood Red podcast, and also, as you can see, if you're watching it on the YouTube channel. If you are listening to this on a podcast and you enjoy it, thank you very much for listening via podcast. If you do want to sort of see what we look like and why you would, I don't really know, but there you go. If you want to watch us, um, you know, do all of our analyzing Anfield goodness, then you can go onto the Blood Red YouTube channel um, and and take a look at that. But uh, well. Welcome, whether you're watching, whether you're listening, welcome to Analyze Anfield. I'm Christian Walsh, and with me, as always, is Josh Williams. The Premier League season is up and running. Liverpool, they're already in the top four, Josh. They were top of the league for a little bit on Friday night as well, which was nice. I don't think anyone expected any difference. Four goals, decent performance in general. What did you reckon? Because I think if you listen to last week, we predicted it quite accurately. I think we did. I think we. Um, that's the first thing I've written on the agenda, really. I mean, Stop we, clock, yeah, right? We, twice, a, twice a day. Yeah, I think we got a pretty spot on. To be honest, they, you know, they were fairly free flowing in, in the way they attacked. Youthful side, uh, they got forward and things like this. Um, offensive fullbacks, and we predicted that the main things we had to look out for were. Pookie's conversion rate set by yourself. I'm not sh- too sure what it was last season. Can you remember what his conversion rate I was? I can't remember his conversion rate. I just know he was very good at I feel, I feel like it was 22% for mm. some reason. Um, and I mentioned Buendia, who who managed to get the assist. And, you know, he certainly showed up for me just throughout the game. I'm not sure if he did for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, he's clearly a good little... Good little, I mean, good little yeah. player sounds so condescending, but he's, he's got something about him, hasn't he? He's going yeah. to do well against a, a, a fair few teams this season. Yeah, they're, they're left winger as well. I thought had a good mm. good performance. I've never not previously heard of him. I'm honest, I think Tom Campbell was he? Yes, Campbell. Um, yeah, he was really impressive for me. Uh, but yeah, I just thought it was a good performance. Uh, it was on its way to a cricket score, which we already said uh, last week. Four 0 at half time. It was four two three one. So Norwich came as expected, really. Um, and from a Liverpool perspective, that was ideal because. We also mentioned that we are the, the worst possible opponents that they could face, really. So, you know, there's, there's different ways of looking at it, but I think from Norwich's perspective, I think they would have been... You've got that fine line, haven't you? Admiral slash naive. Um, but, you know, good performance. But he was, was one or two, I'd say, defensive... Narratives following the game, wasn't he? Mm. Um, just regarding Liverpool's defence being a bit sloppy, maybe. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll we'll start with that. We'll we'll talk a little bit about you know Salah and, and Rigi and, and Liverpool on the front foot. We don't want to be negative. They won four one, um, and I don't think this necessarily will be negative. But there was a little bit of negativity around post match because. I think it was Jamie Carragher and uh, Gary Neville. I think Neville might have even said that a better side than Norwich might have even got a point because they, they were given so many chances. Um, both of them reflected on what was a... Not not the type of Liverpool offensive performance we've been used to seeing over the past 12 months. But ultimately, what was it, 11, 11 shots they faced? 11 shots. 11 faced, shots, yeah. that's, that's, that's quite high. I think last year they were averaging around... Five, six, seven. Yeah, round about unca- six, wasn't it? Round about six shots a game, Mark. Yeah, it's a bit unca- uncharacteristic, I'd say, of Liverpool. Mm. Um, the XG had Liverpool. I mean, there's various different models. We know this, uh, but most had Liverpool around two point two. Whereas, and I think that's we have a penalty. We have no penalty. No, we? no. So I'm getting mixed up. Uh, Norwich had valued at around zero point nine. To one point one in that region, which you know feels quite high against Anfield, the promoted sides. Yeah, yeah, for Anfield it is quite high. I had a little look that last season at Anfield in all competitions, we had a home average of six point seven shots against Norwich. Obviously, managed eleven, and only Spurs, Bournemouth, and Chelsea in the Carabao Cup managed to have that amount mm. at Anfield. So. You know, it was a bit of a bit of a strange one, but I don't I don't think the shots were particularly high quality. I don't think they were clear cut chances that they had. I just think it was. Um, I mean, we we mentioned about Liverpool pre season. What what was the issue and stuff? And although it was lack of personnel, it was also a little bit of a lack of cohesion. 
uh, lack of fitness maybe, compactness and things like that. So, yeah, I think it was a bit a bit of that. Less so than in pre-season, but just, just a bit of that. Like, we, we, you know, we'll, that'll obviously be a bit of rust, I'd say, get, that we'll have to get rid of with games. Um, so it's not, it's not something I'd overly worry about. It's not something that I expect to continue. And it, it's something that I do think is partially due to Norwich's approach because not many opposing teams are willing to let their fullbacks bomb on in a way that Norwich did. Well, you've just mentioned Bournemouth and Bournemouth traditionally yeah. end up getting snossed by Jürgen Klopp's Liverpool, don't they, apart from the, the 4-3 that time. But they concede a lot of goals against Liverpool and again, ultimately, Liverpool scored four and Norwich scored one. So, yeah, obviously, think- it's a lot deeper than that. But it was a, it was a noble outlook from Norwich, but also one that ultimately cost them quite heavily. I th- yeah, I think it's usually a case of if if you're going to cause Liverpool problems, if you're going to have genuine shots against Liverpool, Liverpool are probably going to have tons against you as well. Hence why we tend to demolish Bournemouth. Uh, we scored four against Norwich after 45 minutes. The Chelsea game was a bit of an bit of an anomaly because you know obviously heavily rotated side. Uh, and the Spurs game, I'm not sure. Well, what that was just when finished. that that was the two one. That's when they just had that half an hour. Yeah, that's when they had that spell. Yeah, they had that half hour period. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as I say, I don't think it's something to be overly worried about. Something to keep an eye on. A little bit uncharacteristic of Liverpool, but I do think it massively coincides with players coming back bit of a lack of cohesion and we're one of the best in the world for that being difficult to break through having a real compact block and stuff like that so I'd expect us to get back to that in, you know in the coming weeks So not too much to worry about defensively just want to point to one thing defensively and then we'll start talking about the good stuff that Liverpool did because he did score four goals and, and won and then they got the three points but I've noticed a couple of times now it happened against City at Wembley it happened for the goal against uh, Norwich Liverpool seem to be trying to play this offside trap and something somewhere isn't quite working because somebody's not moving out is this is this because of VAR and because if basically if you get it right there is no more there's absolutely no basically if you get it right there is no debate there is a video there to say you have got that right so Klopp is maybe backing it because it feels like we're playing the offside trap a lot more maybe I'm just noticing it more because of the VAR in the back of my mind I just noticed you think about the Sterling chance when they went through you think about um, there was another opportunity for City and obviously the goal against Norwich happened a couple of times in pre-season as well I don't know if it's Gomez I don't know if it's Alexander-Arnold is it something that you've noticed? It's something that I've noticed I have picked up on it I haven't delved into it yet. Um, I haven't been asked to assess it, to analyse it, nothing like that. So I couldn't give you any kind of insight on that, but <clears throat> it is something I have personally picked up on, yeah. Just a bit more of an aggressive line. A little bit higher up the field. I think Klopp has been questioned about it, and I think he denied it. Mm. I think he denied that there was any change at all, which you probably would do if it wasn't working particularly well. Even if it was working well, you probably wouldn't want to deny it. Don't share your secrets. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, it would be a, a clever change, I think, to be honest. Because if you, if you read like you know tactical books and things like that about the history of football tactics and stuff like that, most little innovations come as a result of rule changes, updates in the law, and things like that. So if we've made such an adjustment based on VAR now being a part of our game, for me that would make a degree of sense and it'd, it'd be quite inventive if, if we have done that obviously though if we're doing it we need to get it right um, so yeah that's definitely worth keeping our eye on I I could even suggest that as an idea I, re- I reckon this week yeah let's, let's, have, let's have a look at Chelsea because this is getting recorded on um, Tuesday Liverpool played Chelsea on Wednesday there'll also be a game with Southampton um, yeah. between now and the time that we next record so it might be worth keeping an eye on it's, it's yeah, just something I don't know if it's Gomez, I don't know if it's Trent, I don't know if it's I don't know what it is. I just know that also Van Dyke's getting pretty agitated at the times about how they're stepping up. So it's one worth keeping in mind. Um let's talk a little bit about Liverpool. They look sharp. We mentioned Salah after City. I thought his finish was was excellent. Um and it even if they weren't necessarily at the fluid best, I think you said it was around two goals on the XG. It looks like they 
whereas last year it took them a while to, to click. Although, to be fair, they did win 4-0 on the opening day last season. Um, it looks like they're, they're pretty much picking up from where, where they started again. Yeah, uh, it was a fairly, fairly solid performance with the ball, I think. Uh, 16 shots, 7 on target. Um, yeah, the, the, the attacking players looked on it. Aligi looked um, more influential, I'd say, than, than the Community Shield. Um, obviously, Mane's only been out for two weeks, so he hasn't really got to come back and, and restart. He's, he's he's still fifth from, from the last season, so... The problem might come in March, April, but we'll yeah, cross maybe, that bridge yeah, when we come so, to it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we usually have a dip in January, don't we? So that would, that would just keep the tradition, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think it was a it was a, a decent opening performance. We looked threatening. I, I, there was a lot of people on my Twitter feed with a bit of an issue with the opening midfield that we selected half an hour later. Since Alexander Arnold puts a, a cross on a on a sixpence, it, it was ridiculous. And that's why you don't need particularly creative central midfielders when you've got such technicians on the flanks. Um, so yeah, just uh, there wasn't much. Much to immediately note in terms of like comparing our tactical approach to last season. Don't think there was much development to pick on. Just a very, a very strong performance. Um, good going forward as we always are. Um, knowledge played into our hands and just you know move forward and try, and try to develop a bit more because although that's the case, I think we there was areas areas to improve. Room for improvement there definitely. I think this is going to be a running theme with, with midfield selections and I think we can say it now, we said it last week, that midfield's absolutely fine if two of your chief playmakers are on the field and in Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson they are. Yeah, and, and as long as them two are able to influence the play, which against Norwich they are, mm. if you're playing a slightly more offensive opponent whereby Trent's staying deeper, Robertson's staying deeper, it's a bit different, but against Norwich, did, when I saw the team, I didn't anticipate any any immediate problems, especially considering Norwich are willing to play through your team. And when you've got the likes of Henderson in your midfield, Fabinho in your midfield, even Wijnaldum, they're all fully willing to put a foot in. So even even though I do, I do think Norwich seem to get through certain instances a lot easier than I expected, but again, that just stems from compactness and things like that. So I'd expect improvement, but... There's not a lot to be concerned about at the minute, although we did seem to allow, you know, a few more shots than usual, things like that. It's got to be credit to Norwich as well, though, because which is great for Liverpool because if every team turns up against Liverpool with that sort of mentality, um, it, it, it's it's likely that Liverpool will 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 do very well again this season. But you know, credit to them, and, and you saw enough of them to think, you know, maybe maybe they might have enough about them to to, to stay up. Yeah, um, when we asked last week about who might get relegated, I was a little bit uncomfortable saying Norwich because um, you ultimately don't know what you're going to expect and they are a very capable attacking side, very brave. Um, so if you've got goals at the bottom end of the field, at the bottom end of the league, you tend to do fairly well. I mean, you look at Bournemouth, they haven't been particularly good defensively for years, but they know how to attack, they are a good attacking side. You create clear-cut chances consistently. Um, whereas if you look at a team maybe in the form of Newcastle, you worry where their goals are going to come from and things like that. So, yeah, I think pe- people maybe look at it as newly promoted side, 11 shots against you, not great. True, but this is all we know of Norwich at the minute. They, they could go on to have an average of over 11 shots per game, yeah. we don't know. So they're a team that's worth keeping an eye on. And although yeah, you're inclined to look at Liverpool's defensive fragility, let's say, in terms of allowing on to have 11 shots, it, it can also stem from Norwich. So it's it, it's difficult to say at these early stages of the season. You don't know where teams are yet. But I was impressed with what I saw. I think, you know, if they, if they continue like that, they'll, they'll, they'll get good results against most teams. It just happens to face Liverpool in the opening week. The big talking point, um, as well as the game itself uh, and the goals and, and, and the, the analysis around it, was the injury to Alison Becker. Um, it didn't look a good one initially. It looks like it might be a little bit better than first feared, with Klopp saying 
I think he's intimating basically get him to the the international break and, and things should be okay. Um, sorry, I wouldn't imagine he goes away with, with Brazil. He was very keen not to put a timeline on it, but at the same time, you know, I think it would have been a lot... If it was a lot worse, I think Klopp would have said it was a lot worse. So on comes Adrian. Um, he's going to be Liverpool's goalkeeper for, let's say, the next month at least. So what do we know about him? Um, both on the field and off the field and... and, and Ultimately, how much of a blow is this to Liverpool and how much of the breach can Adrian, there's going to be hard, Alisson, Adrian, how much can Adrian step into it? It's a lot to cover there. Um, I think firstly, on Alisson coming back and when he's coming back and things, I think the word was very ambiguous, I thought, in terms of a few weeks. And I think the reason we've said that is because Alisson's never been injured as far as I'm aware. Certainly as far as Liverpool is away. Um, so we we have no gauge at all on what his recovery time's like. Whereas with Joe Gomez, his recovery time's bad. I'm th- there's a player, I can't even think of it is. We've got a player who comes back very quickly. Lallana? No, it's not Lallana. Ah, who is he? We've got a player who tends to come back really quickly, quicker than usual. It might be Mane, actually. Mane does feel like, like he, yeah, Mane. Mane. Um, it, was the, it was around the time of the... He got injured in the, the October of seventeen eighteen, I think. Yeah. And around then, and he was back far, far quicker than anyone yeah, anticipated. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I just think that that's. I'm not sure if I'd entirely believed a few weeks thing. It's better than it's better than obviously him sustaining some sort of Achilles problem, mm. which was a bit of a weird, bit of a rumor. But anyway, on, on Adrian, Adrian, whatever you want to call it. Uh, not great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's your two-word review there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think uh, a lot of people have been trying to paint it positively, which is understandable. And there is stuff there to paint positively. He's big character by all accounts, which is what you want from a lad who's not going to play much. He's experienced in the league, cool, composed with his feet, stuff like that. But in terms of impacting results in a similar way to Allison, I don't have a great deal of hope there. Um, I looked at his, his past four seasons, um, and I just used XG just as a... It's difficult to, to judge yeah. goalkeepers ultimately, but I looked at his XG, so he, he was expected to concede 120 goals. He conceded 119. So... Not bad, not good, absolutely bang average. That's what that is, really. What you want from a number two? Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, XG is founded upon historical data based on what the average goalkeeper saves. And Adrian, obviously, is very much in that region. Um, in 15-16, he overperformed by four. A year later, he underperformed by four. So... Again, it's just he looks very, very average to me. Um I think I think he's shown up to a couple of like the likes of Statsbaum and people who, who have been in analytics for a while. He showed up quite well a couple of years ago. I think it was fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, I think five years plus, things mm-hmm. like that. He was quite good then. But he, I think he's just just naturally declined a bit since, which is normal. Um and as as you say, I think he's very much a number two. Better number two in terms of shot stopping than Mignolet. Let's you know, I compare him to Mignolet. Um Mignolet is based on the past five seasons below below the average keeper. Uh, underperformed every season in terms of what he was expected to save compared to what he actually did save. So he's not played on Mignolet. He's just nowhere near Allison. And to put into perspective, Allison, um over the past Roughly five seasons, four or five seasons, Allison's been expected to concede 152. No, sorry. He's been expected to concede 180 in all competitions. He's conceded 152. That's, that's a, 28 goals. That's a considerable overperformance. And that's over the course of about 19,000 minutes. 
Sample um, size is big enough there to say this yeah, isn't massive, this yeah. isn't a patch. This is him being an incredible yeah, goalkeeper. That's, that's that's enough to suggest that he's just an above average goalkeeper. He's just better than the average keeper in terms of what he can save. So I've I've spoken about Allison before on this pod, and I think he's not necessarily crucial to our overall performance on the pitch. I think our performances will stay generally the same. What I think Allison's crucial to is results for us. Just securing results by making big saves, having not done anything for 45 minutes. Um, and I think the goal that we conceded, the Pookie goal, epitomised that really. The only real clear-cut chance you'd say that Norwich had, he scores it. I think Alisson saves that, personally. I think he's off his line a lot quicker as well. Yeah. Um, so just I don't I don't think it's too detrimental because as I say our performances should genuinely stay the same we should generally still concede roughly around eight shots a match seven shots six shots a match um, but it's it's just Alice Nova performs in terms of what he's expected to save he saves shots that he shouldn't Adrian saves shots he should shots that he shouldn't they go in. So it's it's just an average keeper really in that regard. So you know it remains to be seen. It's never the interesting one to keep an eye on, but I I wouldn't be inclined to paint paint him in a positive light and think that we've got some hidden gem who's never really been discovered or something like that. I think he's just a a very average keeper, better than Mignolet, but worse than Allison. And that's what you want from a number two, really, isn't it? It, yeah, it that's, is. That's yeah. because they're not going to play every week. I mean, he's very much been signed as number two, yeah. Mm. He's very much been signed as number two. It's not a case of where we've maybe recruited two top-quality number ones, say, for example, what you've got at Man United, maybe, or even City. Adrian is very much recruit him. He can play in the Cups, the domestic Cups. And, you know, out of nowhere, Alisson gets a complete random injury. And he's now got to step up for us and play in some important games, so... It's a concern purely in terms of results, yeah. Uh, just because we sh- we should technically not be able to perform above above average, which is what we've been doing for the past year, for the most part at least. Do you think it'll change Liverpool's style at all again? Do you, do you feel like they, they'll just go for the jugular look to, look to more of a 17-18 throwback for the next month where they just try and outscore opponents? Possibly. Um, I'd say more in the case of... I mean, when we got Allison, we got him around the same time as Van Dijk, so it's hard to, it's hard mm. to judge. But one key tactical change that seemed to happen around the time of getting Allison was we we were a lot more comfortable and we were a lot more happy to sit on leads. People that have picked up on our pressing numbers and things like that have noticed that our pressing has very slightly, you know, we've, we've been a, le- a lot less uh, active in our pressing when we've got a lead and things like that. Maybe. Um, and that's just because we're a lot more inclined now, a lot more capable to to soak pressure. Um, and if we do concede the shot maybe from outside the box or, or whatever, a shot from a dodgy angle, we've got full trust in Alisson to be able to to cope with that. Well, he wasn't beaten from outside the area. Exactly, he didn't get beaten in from the outside Premier the area in the Premier League, yeah. Apart from... Uh, Certain Lionel Messi in the Champions League. Um, I'm Red Star Belgrade. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Champions League. That'll, um, that'll be a quiz question, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, before I'm with Mignolet, this could again coincide with the fact we didn't have a very good defence either. But we, we pressed like monsters, and that was because we just wanted to keep opposing teams as far away from our goal as possible and defend using our attackers rather than using our actual defence, if you like. Uh, so. I'm not sure. I don't think we'll we'll deem it as much of an issue as that, whereby we'll go back to pressing like maniacs from the front to just avoid Adrian having to do anything. But it's as I say, it's 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 such early days in terms of the season. It's it's worth keeping an eye on these things. But I wouldn't expect anything drastic. It's just a case of making sure that Adrian doesn't have to deal with. Shots, really. I mean, yeah, I was going to say high quality shots, but he's he's coming across to me as an average keeper in terms of shot stopping. So, just give him as little to deal with as possible, and we'll be fine. But expecting him to perform over the norm, based on his numbers, based on the past four seasons, looks unreasonable. 
it'll be interesting actually his little experiments I suppose because it makes you realise doesn't it that in, in the space of six months Liverpool brought in Virgil van Dijk Fabinho and Alison Becker uh, and if you want to go a little bit further than that, they also moved Joe Gomez into a centre-back role. So it'll be interesting to see whether this big defensive improvement, it's, I don't know if we'll ever will find out, is it down to individuals? Is it down to the shape? Is it down to the collective? Because it's, it's, it's one of those, you take Fabinho out, for example, we saw, I mean, it's a little bit different with Fabinho, I suppose, because it took him a while to get going, but... You know, you take out Van Dijk and what would happen? You take out Salas and what would happen? Is it just that the mentality and the shape's different or is it down to individuals? It's going to be really interesting to see now how it alters Liverpool, if at all. Now, one of those components of Liverpool's, let's say, it's that three-man spine of goalkeeper with um, centre-back and number six. It's going to be interesting to see if you take one of them out if something changes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, a combination of all those things, really. I think we have developed... Tactically, certainly for me, we've developed a capability to control what's going on around us, whereas in the past it's always been a bit chaotic for for 90 minutes. Um, and, you know, I must say, Alison, uh, Adrian, he's, he's not bad by any means. Not like this, I, I've maybe painted him a bit too bad there. It's just a case of he's average. Just an average, very standard keeper with his in terms of shot-stopping. It's only bad because of how good Allison is, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've had, uh, and I get asked, we we get asked quite a lot to talk about Allison on this pod. Mm. Um, he's just a, an above average keeper. He saves shots that he shouldn't. He is just better than the average keeper, and that has a massive impact on on securing results, as I've said, because you know football's a low scoring game. You only need one goal to, to massively impact a, a season sometimes. Um, and Alisson, if we do maybe let a, a, a clear cut chance through or whatever it may be, Alisson steps up and, and really impacts results. I'm, I'm just thinking maybe, you know, I've spoken with this in the past on this pod, the Merseyside derby, Anfield, Andre Gomez has a clear cut chance from about two yards. I think Alisson saves it. Napoli Champions League. That's the one, isn't it? They're out, they're out the champ. They're out the Champions League. Yeah, big save against Milch. Um, Stamford Bridge. Stamford Bridge against Hazard. One 0 down. Clear cut chance. You know, we make the big save. So it's just little things like that. It's not your performance generally as a whole. It's just those big moments that impact results. And it's 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 no coincidence for me in the past that we've performed to a solid level each season under Klopp but for the first two certainly we, we we still managed to finish fourth whereas United for example in the second season I think it was finished second with De Gea massively overperforming for Mourinho uh, following season we get Alisson in and we end up second and that season when United did finish second with De Gea overperforming we were the second best team in the league according to XG expected points and things like that. We just had Mignolet in goal, so I, I just think goalkeepers massively impact results above everything else. Um, so yeah, it, it depends. We'll just have to really keep an eye on it. Hopefully, keep Adrian to a minimum in terms of what he's expected to do, and get over the line really until Arsenal's back. No, no surprise as well that you know City have been. Dominance as well since Edison came in. Yeah, you yeah. compare that to Joe Hart, Claudio Bravo, yeah. all of those sorts of goalkeepers. Um, mentioned Chelsea there. We'll mention Chelsea now as well because Liverpool are playing Chelsea in Istanbul in the UEFA Super Cup final. Uh, I don't know why we need to call it a final. Um, it's just a Super <laughs> Cup, isn't it? But there we go. Um, the Champions League winners against the Europa League winners. Not, must admit, a little bit of a disappointment that is against Chelsea. I always feel like the Super Cup, but the two I remember were. Uh, CSK Moscow and Bayern Munich and that's what a Super Cup should be about is playing a different team from a different country but here we go anyway um, but on the field Josh we're coming we're coming at it you can't really look at what happened last season because Chelsea had a different manager Liverpool might have changed a little bit as well we don't know it's too early in the season to, to make any sort of judgments what we can look at though is that 19 minutes that Chelsea had against Manchester United um, they got hammered 
which side of the fence do you fall upon? Was this a fluke or was it deserved? Both. <laughs> this is a dodgy one, this. Uh, you asked me last week which team do I think we got fourth and I said Chelsea. The reason I said Chelsea was because they still have a really solid group of pros that are above the average player. OK, they've lost Hazard, they replaced him with Pulisic. Could Lampard be that bad? You know, it remains to be seen, but I didn't I didn't suspect any massive drop-off there. I thought that that was enough over United and Arsenal to get fourth. Now I'm a lot less sure after looking into them deeper yesterday. Um, it was a fluke. United didn't deserve the 4-0 win. But having looked back at Chelsea, they were really naive. Um, and Lampard set his team up in a way that it, it it didn't entirely suit the players at a disposal. It was very idealistic, and that's dangerous. It was very sorry, Pep Guardiola idealistic. But the difference is, those two are both world-class managers, and those two are both, for the most part, have had to better players at their disposal than what Lampard had on the weekend. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I saw this with Lampard last season, I, and this is a very, very short sample size, but I remember watching Derby in one of their first games in the Championship on Lampard, and he had Richard Keogh trying to play out the back like Joel Matip. Yeah. And it was just straight away, and I think they got turned... I think they, got, I think they might have been before 4-1 by Leeds. I can't quite remember. They definitely, or maybe West Brom. I know they got turned over quite heavily at home, and you're watching it and you're just thinking, he's trying to basically... he's he's. He thinks these players are as good as the players he played with. Yeah. And that's a big problem. It's a very idealistic approach, I thought. Um, I mean, initially they were very energetic, very in your face. They started well. And I, I, above, you know, I really, really tried to to not let the results shape the own narrative in my head. And it didn't until I looked back at them. And I just thought to myself, like, I don't know, just... I think they had a major problem in two two key areas. Number one, pressing. And number two, your build-up play. Um, firstly, in, in regards to pressing, in, in pre-season, they posted a, a PPDA of 7.9. PPDA means? Passes per defensive action. So that's roughly how many passes you allow the opposition to have before you then look to regain the ball. So 7.9 is very, very low. That suggests Lampard seemed really, really active looking to regain the ball. Um, I thought, I, I wrote a preview for the MEN for, you know, how United could approach Chelsea kind of thing and I, I suggested in the piece they had the P- PBDA of 7.9 in pre-season but I think that will drop off because this is now a competitive game at Old Trafford against quality players that Manchester United have. It didn't didn't drop off at all. It was they finished the match with seven point five, so that's even lower. Um, and obviously, match scenario can come into that. They were obviously chasing the game for a long period, but still, really, really, really aggressive pressing. And when you think of the players in the squad, I'm thinking Jorginho, Kovacic, Mount, Barkley. Even Abraham, Pedro, Azpilicueta, Zuma, maybe Christensen. They're not particularly mobile. They're not particularly energetic. Um, I mean, they are and they're not. I'm just talking about, like, if you compare it to a Liverpool team, mm. a City team, just pace everywhere. You look at them, you go, they press. They they, yeah. will, they will get around the pitch. Yeah, and looking back, it reminded me a little bit of the... the the 6 0 Sari suffered mm. at the Etihad. Obviously, it wasn't as bad, but Sari instructed a gang of um, aging players, let's say. Was it was up front. It was, yeah. yeah. It was up front. And he instructed a gang of aging players to high press Manchester City at the Etihad. And he just got torn to shreds. And this wasn't as bad as that. And I think generally, box to box, Chelsea's. You know, I mean, excluding the penalty boxes, I think the general performance of United and Chelsea was 
not that you know fairly fairly even. But I just think looking back at it, Chelsea did a lot of really naive, silly, idealistic things. And if they don't incorporate some form of pragmatism into a match with Liverpool, if he goes into it with such an idealistic game again, it could be it could be bad. Honestly, it could be bad. It could be a real baptism of fire, whereby it takes him to be humbled to such an extent that he then sits back and goes, "Okay, I've realised now that I need to learn from this kind of thing." Um, and just on the, on the building from the back, you're building from the back with. Kurt Zuman, who's just is not that type of player. The, the moment where early on, Kepa passed to him, and oh, Zuma squared it to Martial. Yeah, he, he, he had no awareness at all of of what was around him apart from what was in front of him. No scanning at all, and just a big worry. I think it'll improve drastically with Rudiger and Kante because they are more suited to the approach that Lampard wants to, you know, wants to wants to take, but. With the plays he used at Old Trafford, I just thought it was a. Looking back, I just think it was a little bit of a, a suicidal approach, a bit naive. Like, you look as well when you you press high, and if a team can get around that press, you are in, you are in big big trouble. And United had the players there in Marshall, in Rashford. Um, who was who was on the right for them? Um, on the right, I'm not sure. Maybe Lingard. Lingard, it was yeah. So and he had Lingard. Dan James at one point. And, and Dan James, that's pace. Yeah. That's guile. And I looked I looked at Chelsea's pre-season. You should never really judge pre-season mm. too much, but in their past four matches now, Chelsea have conceded four against United, then two, three and three versus Mönchengladbach, Salzburg and Reading. Mm. Um, again, they were high-pressing in all of them, but... And, and pressing is supposed to be a defensive mechanism to make it difficult for your opponent for the opposing team, and I think for United it generally did, apart from four or five moments where you just got clear cut chances, and that's 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 the problem. They're conceding clear cut chances because their pressing isn't, you know, compact, compact and foolproof for ninety minutes. Uh, big spaces open up, as a result, that can really be exploited. And when you're playing against a team that have got the likes of Rashford, Martial, James, Lingard, really mobile players, it's just a bit, it's not realistic. It's not a realistic approach to take into a game like that. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if if Chelsea's aggressive approach really flustered the likes of Norwich, Bournemouth. But then when they come up against Liverpool, City, they get absolutely battered. Not necessarily between both boxes, but just the clinical chances they allow are just gonna kill them, and they're not gonna they're not gonna be able to to get results. Um, so it's the, the difficult one to judge at the minute. But as I say, initially the narrative I was thinking now Chelsea aren't, aren't this bad, but then as I said, looking back at it, it's just a bit more worrying than initially thought. So worrying for Chelsea, but hopeful for Liverpool in terms of Wednesday night. Is it fair to say that Liverpool, as I think you've just basically said, they're the one of the worst teams Chelsea could possibly be playing on the back of this 4-0 if yeah. he hasn't learned how to be pragmatic in the space of three days, which he probably hasn't. Yeah, the only side I can think that could be worse to play is City. Mm. Uh, but Liverpool, you know, in big matches, high-profile matches, Liverpool are very much about making... Making you make mistakes, enforcing errors, really. Um, and Chelsea, if Zuma plays again, he's going to be really, really targeted. You can just predict it now. Um, so it's it's you know you know Liverpool are one of the best when it comes to using pressing as a means of creation. Um, they were considerably more mobile than Chelsea, more aggressive. The whole pressing game is more instilled in their game by, in my opinion, the the best pressing coach the game's seen in, in Jurgen Klopp. So, as as you say, I, I think he really needs to grasp that a pragmatic approach is needed for this one-off fixture. Maybe Chelsea's pressing will improve as the season goes on. But for his first two games to be against two highly mobile attacks, highly mobile opponents... 
who, I mean, Liverpool are, you'd, you'd say Liverpool are a better counter to Saturn team than United. So it's just, it's just a big a big worry for Chelsea. I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm talking mm. like I'm a yeah, Chelsea yeah, fan. Yeah. From a Liverpool perspective, you should be licking your lips if, if Lampard doesn't learn in the space of three days. But, you know, may, maybe with it being a final, he will do. You know, you, you don't know, but... I just think it, it could maybe go the route... I, I wrote a preview of this yesterday on the Echo, just a general preview of the final. And a match that just vaguely came to mind was Roma, when we beat them 5-2, was it? Mm. At Anfield. Roma just, again... What's what's the... De, De Francesco. De Francesco, yeah. He just came with his idealistic approach without considering the opponents at all. High line. And Liverpool just killed them. Liverpool just really, really exploited the high line. Constant balls over the top from Trent in the direction of Salah. And it was just it was just crazy. So I think it, it's similar to Norwich in terms of it can be admirable to, to an extent. But there will come a point where it, it crosses the line and becomes a bit naive. And if he's, if he's going to take the same high-pressing approach to Liverpool with Zuma in the back... And an aging squad. It's just um it just doesn't look sensible, really. I think Aspilaquesta could be an issue as well because he's used to playing in a free man defence, um either as a centre back or, or as a right wing back, and he's also used to playing in a in like a sorry side, if you will, with where it's all about control. Um twice in the space of ninety seconds against Manchester United, he just looked like he didn't have the legs to get back. And I think if whether it's Mane or Origi, whoever it is down that side, um, it's going to be very interesting to see if he does get forwards, if he can keep up with them, because I, I really don't think he can. It feels like a real opportunity that for Liverpool. Yeah, well, I think I think Azpilicueta and Zuma are both the both low block type defenders. Mm. I think the both defenders that prefer the space to be ahead of them rather yeah. than behind them. And as you know, clearly to being to being tasked with playing in this proactive, modern, assertive manner, which most weeks throughout the season probably will be okay. I just think in the big matches, mm. you're going to really, really struggle. And that will define how Chelsea did this season. Yeah. I mean, Not even against necessarily Chelsea and Liverpool, uh, Liverpool, Manchester City, Man United, Arsenal, Tottenham, even, yeah. even Wolves, Everton. West yeah. that maybe, I don't know. But let's say Wolves and Everton as well. Leicester. Yeah, I just think, as I, as I say, looking back, my main take from it is that initially I just thought Chelsea were unlucky. It wasn't a 4-0, but the fact that they conceded clear-cut chances was no fluke, really. I think it was self-inflicted because of Lampard's lack of pragmatism, just lack of streetwise, you know, thinking, that kind of stuff. And maybe that'll change because he's in the final maybe that will change because he's more fearful of Liverpool than he is of than he is, than he was of United you know remains to be seen and, and and last season when we were going into the game with Chelsea and Sarri was in charge I had a, a vaguely similar view because I thought Sarri was equally as pragma, as um, idealistic in his views but Chelsea really um, adjusted mm. for the Liverpool match Chelsea really got us on a break I thought mainly um, so maybe Lampard will do the same maybe he'll accept okay we are the weaker team today we are the weaker presses in, in you know in most areas with the weaker side so accept it but if he doesn't and he tries to you know all guns blazing and things like that I just really don't think it's a sensible approach against Liverpool and I, f- I feel like Based on a short managerial tenure, he, there's a legit possibility that he might just he, he might go with his principles again. I just think it, it might might be very crazy. It might it's, be a crazy match. It's just worth reminding people if you haven't listened to this podcast before or you, you just can't remember because we, we are very much well into this now. Um, at Derby last season, yeah, you know, they might have finished in the playoffs, but they were not. The, it was not the underlying performance for playoff side. They conceded a lot of shots, yeah, they, and they and they scored a lot of goals that they shouldn't have scored, yeah, mainly because of Barry sco- Wilson. Yeah, they scored plenty from outside the box, yeah. uh, benefited from a lot of variance, and if you're looking at strictly underlying numbers, the general chances they created were poor on the whole. 
and third worst, I think, in XG. Yeah, it might have been the third worst, yeah. And defensively, I think they were lurking around mid-table, I think, or something like that. Um, So, yeah, it's a really interesting case to watch them this season. And, as I say, I'm a a bit more fearful for them after after analysing the United game a bit bit more thoroughly. Good news for Liverpool, though. They've flown out to Istanbul. Um, They've taken a 23-man squad. Uh, One of the men who is not in that squad is Dejan Lovren, um, due to... Illness. Illness. We can do that. We can do that now we're on video. Yeah, illness. we can, yeah. <laughs> no, the illness. Um, being serious, the club say he's ill. We'll, we'll assume that he is ill. Um, but people will naturally talk because, you know, um, it looks like he might be heading out anyway. Um, with Roma and AC Milan interested in the services for £15 million. So... I wrote about this for Liverpool.com a couple of days ago. It's 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 weird that it feels like he's he's about to be sold at the time when his his stock's probably at its highest at Liverpool. You, you, you'll you'll hear a lot of fans on social media at the moment, and I can certainly understand where they're coming from. Saying, in, in, under no circumstance can Liverpool sell Dejan Lovren. Didn't think we'd be saying that about three, two, three years ago, but here we are. Um, simple question to start, Josh. Should they sell him? Um. There's two ways looking at this one, isn't he? I think for me, I'm not overly fussed on a sale at all. I think it's fine, uh, and that's that's from a recruitment perspective. I'm viewing it as thirty years old, quite injury prone, big wage, and I think I think his output is replaceable based on last season. Last season, he only played one thousand two hundred. And 60 minutes around that. That's about 14 full matches. Um, one of them was in the Carabao Cup, which we don't have much care for, I think. And I think if he was to play... I don't know. I, th- I think the word is that we have sufficient cover in Fabinho, whoever, and Vandenberg, which, I again, I think that's a fair shout. I think if, if we've got 10 of our regular 11 on the pitch... And you put whoever as a centre back, or you put Vandenberg in next to Van Dijk, whatever. I don't think you'll feel that much at all, providing you do it in the right matches and things like that. There's a bit of risk, bit of risk there, just because you know there's a way that Matip and Gomez are injury prone as well, which is a fair shout. But um, will Gomez get? Get, get such a knock as he did last Gomez season. Gomez doesn't get niggly injuries. He's just been unfortunate. And yeah. his recovery time is a little bit of an issue, maybe, because we, we've we seen him sort of take over 12 months with an ACL. We've seen him, but, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. But his injuries have been a the, broken leg and, a, and an ACL. Yeah, the impact injuries. Impact injuries. The impact so injuries, yeah. with Matip, it felt like, apart from the, the separated shoulder, which was just, it was in the last kick of the game against Napoli, wasn't it? A, 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 again, a pure not a fluke. He, he seemed to be okay last yeah. year, last last season. If anything, the injury prone one out of the four is Dejan Lovren. Yeah, and, and what, what I'm getting at as well, um, even with Gomez picking up that injury last season, and even with massive suffering here and there, Lovren still only played 1,200 minutes. Mm. So it's likely that whoever is the, I mean, I'm not a biggest advocate of the whole false choice thing, but even if our fourth choice was to play that amount of minutes, that's that's not a great deal, um, and that's not worth. You've been unlucky with injuries, I think. Yeah, if you see what I mean, I think you've been on, which I think Liverpool probably were at some points. You've 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 been unfortunate if your fourth choice defender has, has played over a thousand minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I think I'd expect Gomez to play a bit more. I'd expect Matip to play a bit more, and then before you know it. This fourth choice slot by Fabinho or whoever or Vandenberg has to play, you know, in the region of 500, 600, 700 minutes, really. And it's not it's not going to be felt that much, I don't think. Mm. I just considering the fee we're getting for Lovren, 15 to 20 million in the, in the region of, obviously getting his, his wage off the bill. Um, I just think it may, from a recruitment perspective, it makes a degree of sense to cash in on him, especially considering... 
he's now into his final his final or his final two. So basically, yes, he'll be. He's got two years left, so two next left. year will be his, his last year, last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the other side is that he's experienced Premier League experience as well. His influence on Salah. Whenever he does come in, he's performs to a relatively consistent level. Um, but I don't, I don't think that will massively differentiate when you throw Sepp van den Berg in there, for example, because I think when when you throw a kid in, the worry is that he's going to make an occasional mistake mm. that's going to cost you. What's Dejan Lovren renowned for? Yeah. An certainly occasional up and, mistake. Certainly up until... Um, up until... Uh, since Tottenham 4-1, he's actually not made one, but it's no, no. been greatly reduced. Before that, I think it was six... It was six headers leading to a goal at Liverpool in yeah. four seasons. Yeah, I think he's prone to making an occasional one anyway. Mm, definitely. And I think, considering his age, the offer we've got for him, if it's if it's to be believed, and the fact he's on a big wage, injury prone, things like that, I think it makes sense to allow those... Um, those errors to fall to the feet of a kid, let him develop from it. I've always had the belief that your your you know your fourth choice centre back or I still hate saying it, but you, you, if your fourth choice centre back, let it be a kid who's got the the room to develop, going to become a big player eventually. Let him learn in a relatively you know relatively comfortable environment when he's perhaps next next to Van Dijk against Sheffield United maybe. Um, so yeah, I've got. I haven't got much of an issue with with Lovren being solo. I think it's the right time to cash in. I think we've got sufficient backups there, sufficient cover, and and yeah, I think it makes a degree of sense to me. Just looking there, that's what I was on my laptop for. Um, Kiriagos, who for me is the ultimate fourth three centre back. Um, in twenty ten eleven, he played. 1,079 minutes but that was very much in a season where I think Aga was missed a fair bit I think Skirtle was out for a while I don't think Carragher played the full season and of course you had a change of manager um, and I'm just looking at when Kenny came in which would have been the, 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 the Blackpool game he made five appearances so those are the type of numbers that you get and I know, God, this is nearly a decade ago, but Kiriagos to me always, you say like four, three centre-back, my head goes to Kiriagos 2010-11. Um, so it's probably, if you know, if you looked at the, the, the Benitez season, it'd probably be even less. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 I can see why people are frustrated. I think what also people should remember, and I'm not saying this is necessarily FSG's policy, um, but... Wijnaldum has two years left on his contract. Matip has one year left on his contract. You would imagine both of those, barring any real strange situation, need to have extensions soon and they deserve pay rises. They are champions of Europe after all. So this is the kind of thing you can't just... Yeah, you've got to, you can't just magic up wages. You've got to, and okay, they've lost a fair bit from storage, but then they've, been, they've given Trent, Mane, Firmino, whoever they've been given those pay rises so it's about not balancing the books but you do have to balance the books with FFP yeah it's just a, an economic efficient way of doing things and Liverpool are where they are at the minute because of how efficient they've been in the past couple of seasons zero wastage in regards to, to the squad and I just think I think Lovren alongside maybe Lallana they're two I'd say squad issues whereby they're the only two players I think that are offering a bit of wastage in terms mm-hmm. of you're not really getting your money's worth out of them. They're both on over 100k, I think. Both injury prone, both playing roughly a thousand minutes or less a season. So I think just considering there's an offer for Lovren, um, and you've got two really big prospects, centre backs there behind them. I just think it makes sense to let to let them share the slot rather than allowing, you know, Lovren to have it. Um, I think there's a definite argument there for, for 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 doing it because there's a risk being taken. But I just think it makes sense. I think I think it's it's a sensible move, and you you got to put your trust in the club in these moments as well, considering the business we've done over the past couple of years. 
We went to Southampton. Um, if anyone just saw me look towards the window, it was uh, Dave Prentice playing silly buggers. Um, <laughs> sadly, not on camera. Um, so we'll move on to the Southampton game. Um, obviously, we can't go too much into it. We don't know what's going to happen against Chelsea, first and foremost. But we can look at like Southampton and the fact that they got a bit of a shellacking against Burnley. 3 0, that's uh, for more. But. I suppose I'll combine this with with Oriel Romelu's been doing a, a bit of a press call um, and, and had a message for Liverpool, if you will, their midfielder, and he said uh, there will be more chances to score against Liverpool. Um, it's easier to play teams who take more risks and play out, and this sort of fits into Hasenhutl's Ralph Hasenhutl, the Southampton manager. This fits into his philosophy, doesn't it? The way he plays, because the way he plays. You play a team against Burnley, against a team like Burnley who are long ball, and you know they they by, bypass everything that Southampton do well. If you're Liverpool, it's a little bit different. Yeah, he's he's very much a Klopp in that regard. He's he relies a lot on his pressing to create. That's his, uh, certainly against bigger teams, stronger teams. His primary source of creation is just to press the opposing team into a into a mistake, and you obviously can't do that against Burnley. So the match was dire. Um, but I, this is a quick lesson on you shouldn't be led by the actual results because it was it was there was nothing in it. It was 0.97 xg for Southampton, I think. 0.75 xg for Burnley. Burnley have got this weird voodoo. They do it every year. Yeah. I don't know how they Witchcraft. do it. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> it's it's if you look at XG, how they they underperform sorry, they overperform so much. It's it's remarkable. They'll win games 4-0 and should have scored about half a goal. It's incredible. Yeah. Eleven shots to ten. So there's one shot in the game. Different Burnley managed to, managed to score three of them. Um and you know, Harrison Hutton had to, had to alter his team's approach to the game simply because, like Liverpool, when we play Burnley, we we're well aware that you can't really. There's no point in pressing them; you're not going to get anything out of it. So rather than pressing them, you're best keeping your shape rather than all charging forward, leaving your centre backs exposed to a direct long ball and getting done. So both centre balls, it's second balls, isn't it? Yeah, against Burnley. Yeah. Um, so Southampton played 81 long passes. That's more than any other Premier League match that they've played in at least the past year. I didn't think it was worth going any any further back, but it's just a bit of insight into Southampton don't play long passes to that extent because it was Burnley they did. So I think Romeo's got a spot on, really. I think he's a bit... It <laughs> comes across a bit arrogant, doesn't it? But <laughs> I think he actually said we've got a better chance of beating Liverpool than we did Burnley, which, yeah, yeah, which is feels like something that you just pin on a dressing room wall, isn't it? Yeah, extraordinary comment. Like, <laughs> um, but it, it just stems from the fact that Liverpool will give them more pressing opportunities. Mm. So it's, I think it's very, very much going to be like the last time we met. Was it three one, two one? The three one. It was the Salah. Yeah, Salah. Uh, but in the early stages of the match, we got it really wrong. I thought we we were caught. We talked about it on the show. We were, we were caught constantly with seven players ahead of the, ahead of the ball, and I think Jose Mourinho made a very good comment on Super Sunday. Jordan's little, you know, his analysis post match. He said, "You have to, you have to compensate and be aware." of what your situation is and what your shape is if the ball is lost. As soon as you lose that ball, you have to be aware of what's around you and whether you're actually set up to cope. And Liverpool against Southampton last season, for certainly the first time, weren't. And we got countered consistently really easily. Didn't suffer too much from it. Um, and I hope we don't do that again. We'll have to learn from that. Um, it's happened a bit in pre-season and a little bit against Norwich. Yeah, it did. It feels like we've had too many players ahead of the ball. Too so. many players ahead of the mm. ball, yeah. So it's something we definitely have to be wary of. The, the, the obvious threats are just don't make mistakes on the ball near your own goal. Don't allow the opposing team to make to, to counter-attack. And other than that, I can't really envisage much direct creation coming from Southampton in open play. You know, that's captured against Burnley. 
less than you know 0.97 xg over 90 minutes isn't great. So it'll it'll be an interesting match, but hopefully we'll have learned from from our past meeting with them. Is this a game? Bear in mind what you just said there. Is this a game for Naby Keita because? You might want to get so many players ahead of the ball, therefore you'll want Trent and Robertson to be a little bit more withdrawn and therefore you need that little bit of extra drive from midfield with an Oxlade-Chamberlain or a cater. It, it could be a case of that, but it also could be a case of considering the opposing team are willing to, to press you, make you really uneasy on the ball. You want players who can handle that. Mm. Naby Keita's really you know, press-resistant is the word that we use for it. You can't really force him into a mistake. Really composed, good at dribbling, things like that. Good at using his body. Wijnaldum's another, Fabinho's another to a slightly lesser extent. So I think the likes of Henderson and Milner, although they changed the game last time, it's worth noting, I think they're less suited to to escaping pressure on their own and things like that and remaining composed under the press. So he's a bit think, of a Houdini case there, isn't he? He can, yeah. can get out of it. Yeah, he's very modern in that regard, yeah. Mm. Central midfielder who can cope with pressure. Um, so pa- perhaps he's a shout to, to, to be included. Um, yeah, I just think he's 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 more suited to to coping with the opposition and their strengths than, than the midfield, than Henderson in particular, and and Milner and, you know, players in that, in that ilk. I mean, how much of a test is this for Liverpool to, to, you know, early on? It feels like it's a bit of a, I hate to use such a cliche, but it feels like it's a little bit of a, a banana skin, a little bit like the Palace game last season where you're looking at it and you go, you know, this 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 is going to be a, a, a an early test of Liverpool's title aspirations and their credentials. But ultimately, they, they bypassed that quite well. They, they, they got through the Palace game. Do you, do you envision something similar? A little bit of a struggle maybe, and then quality tells. Yeah, well, certainly considering the other match that's getting played at 5.30, because City have got spares, so this is a big day, really. I mean, it's, it, although it's, <laughs> it's two matches game, in. Game week two. Yeah, game you know? week two, yeah. Game week two. It's but remarkable, isn't it? But it is. It's, considering it's like you're up against an opponent that accumulates 100 points consistently, if they drop even two points and, and draw the spares, that is a massive moment. You have to take advantage of that immediately. So considering we've got Southampton, an opponent that should be beatable, really, from our perspectives. You have got to take advantage of that. Uh, looking at the way, we've, the way we performed against Norwich and the openings we did allow them, Southampton have got a bit more quality about them, so you'd want to be a bit more compact, a bit more assured than we was against Norwich. But, you know, hopefully we've, hopefully we've got enough to, to take advantage of the fact that City have got a tough game. And I, I don't know, it's, it's a difficult one to predict, Just con- again, just because it's so early in the season. You don't know what changes have been imposed. But Southampton are a tricky opponent for us, yeah. It's de- 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 definitely worth noting, just because we, we don't look particularly um, foolproof at the minute. And I think Southampton are a team that are really, really focused on exploiting things like that. that, that, that that's what they're all about, especially under Haas and Norton, so... Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be an interesting one. Danny Ings can play, of course. Just looking at the team there who um, who actually played against Burnley. It looks like it's going to be a free at the back. That's how they like to play on the Hasenhutl, isn't it? It's uh, Bednarek, Stevens, and Vestergaard with Valerie and Bertrand out wide. Uh, Warprouse and Romeo. Um, and then Ings, Redmond, and Adams are sort of a, a front three. Um, yeah, well, they're. Considerably mobile, really, aren't they, that front three? Mm. It's reasonable to suggest that they'll stay fairly high. So we've got to compensate for that. Um, the, the main threat, without doubt, will be on the break and when, we, uh, when we're playing about around the back, that mm. kind of thing. So you've got to be really wary of things like that. But Klopp, considering what he's like, his style of play since, since day one, he should be fully, fully aware of what Arsenal is trying to do. Well, the Alpine Klopp, as he hates to be called, but exactly. But Klopp should have a really good idea of of what not to do, really, mm. um, because he'll know his own triggers based on his, his past moves. So we should we should be highly highly equipped to 
in terms of know-how of how to deal with this kind of thing. I think also as well from that game in April, that was one of the tensest games I can ever remember. Yeah, it was. In terms of uh, everyone's heads were going after 10 minutes and when um, Shane Long who scored, wasn't it? And it was just, that was the, I can't remember the timeline is a bit, I think it was Tottenham and then Southampton. And if just and there might have been like a portal game in the middle of that, but the, in terms of the league, there was Tottenham and then there was Southampton, and those were the two games where it was just like, oh my god, Liverpool are in a title race, and this is going to be absolutely excruciating for the next however many weeks. It was almost like when the penny dropped, and it was like, right, okay, there is no margin for error anymore because Man City aren't going away; they're not losing, and Liverpool can't afford to lose. I don't know if we're at that stage. At the moment, it feels like we already are because Man City have just won 5 0 at the London Stadium. But I think it's it, positive that we're playing before City in that mm. regard. Otherwise, that would make it a bit tense. If, yeah. if we saw City drop points, maybe, and we, and we recognise that as an opportunity to capitalise, maybe there would be a bit more pressure on our shoulders and stuff like that. But hopefully, we do play with a degree of freedom because Southampton certainly will because there's, there's no real expectation on their shoulders. Ridiculous. The kids haven't gone back to school yet and we're talking about pressure and football's meant to be fun. And it just it just isn't it just isn't. So you look at you look at the you're looking at the fixture list and you go and right, City could maybe drop a point there and drop a point there. No, no, they're a horrible team. They are and I to be honest, I I didn't see anything to to stop me from thinking that they'll probably win the league by about six or seven this year. But you never know. We talked about Edison, um maybe as a dip in form. Uh, or an injury, and you know we don't hope that happens, of course. But you you, you just never know, do you? Uh, so you never know. You never know what's going to happen with Liverpool. Usually they win nowadays, certainly in the Premier League. But we will wait and see what this 2019-20 incarnation of Liverpool do. Um, so we'll look towards the Chelsea game. We'll look towards the Southampton game. We'll be back next week. We'll also at some point towards the end of this week be recording our first ever Analyse and Anfield Extra Time uh, so keep an eye on the YouTube page for that it's the uh, Blood Red YouTube page um, and make sure if you are listening to this as a podcast that you subscribe and download all of our Blood Red podcasts it's not just Analyse and Anfield we've got the regular Blood Red show as well as many many more so thanks very much to Josh for this week for joining me uh, we'll be back next week when we'll be looking towards uh, the Arsenal game and that'll be very very interesting I'm sure Nicolas Pepe might come up in conversation on until then, uh, here's to uh, hopefully Liverpool lifting the European trophy and having a very good weekend. Uh, take care and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.